my name is Paul Cuomo. I am with TDNet, and this is the TDNet podcast. And today we have a, a very interesting guest. It's Eugene Judice. Eugene is a senior research services training specialist at Denton's. He has 20 years of experience in knowledge management and training and systems development. He is the author of a newly released book, Reflections During a Pandemic, Thoughts About Sheltering in Place. He is a Mensa member. He worked at Accenture for seven years doing training delivery, instructional design, systems development methodology, training and coaching in project management methods and tools and knowledge management. So hi, Eugene. Thanks for joining us Hello, today. Paul. It's my pleasure to be on your podcast, Paul. Great, great. Well, happy to have you here. So Eugene, why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Well, um, as, as you said, I'm, I'm currently working as the Senior Research Services Training Specialist at Denton's in the Chicago office. Um, law librarianship is really my third profession or my third career. Uh, I, I started out in 1986, which is starting to sound like a very long time ago. I was doing large scale mainframe development, um, you know, old school sort of um, MVS based uh, systems, CICS for those who might remember those systems from back in the day. Uh, I went to graduate school and got an MBA. Uh, at that time, I was working in a healthcare uh, environment, and there was a merger on between the hospital that I worked at and another one. And that, um, I you know, I sort of saw the handwriting on the wall, so I figured it best to to try to find a new opportunity. And that's when the opportunity to Accenture came about because they were looking for rather a unique skill set. They were looking for people who had done systems development, but who also had the sort of the the chops to do instructional design and delivery. And that's how I started at working at Accenture. I was doing client-facing work. Um, I spent like five weeks out of seven on the road, living out of a suitcase and all that. Um, wow. Eventually, things changed. I took an internal position, and unfortunately, I was laid off from that. Uh, I went back to uh, get my second graduate degree in library science and started working on tax day, full-time tax day of 07 at Baker & McKenzie. Uh, I spent... Uh, four years there. Then I went to Latham and Watkins, spent another four years there. And now it'll be five years come Labor Day that I've been at Denton's. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks for letting us know. Now, I did a little research. I saw on your on your background that you're a an American Mensa member, which I yes. thought was very, very interesting. Could you tell the audience a little bit about what is uh, an American Mensa member and what what is Mensa membership all about? Mensa is the Latin word for table, and uh, it's a an association of individuals who have a certain IQ level, for want of a better word. And what you do is you uh, you test in to to join. Uh, it's by um, you you take either the Mensa standard test for admission, or you submit a, a grade report or a a test result from one of their a dozen or so uh, tests that they accepted, that they accept for membership. I took the Miller Analogies test uh, test many years ago, and I submitted that uh, submitted my score to that. You can submit things like SAT scores, ACT scores, uh, LSAT, MCAT, etc. I used the Miller Analogies, which ironically I do not believe is a a test that they accept anymore. But anyways, 
I submitted it. Um, my score was good enough, and now I'm a member of uh, Mensa. Mensa is a worldwide movement here in the U.S. It's called uh, Mensa America, and uh, it's an opportunity for individuals uh, of a certain IQ level to associate. They have game nights. Uh, they meet. Uh, there's writing opportunities. There's the Mensa Journal. So there's a lot of opportunities for people uh, to network and to 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 really use the talents that they've given they've been given um, in in that in that regard. Yeah, I'm sure it's a pretty it's also a, it's a great place to network, and I'm sure you know even for uh, career opportunities and um, it's just a very very interesting from my <laughs> from my you know going to the website and my research a very interesting organization. So it's definitely something to be proud of to be a immense member so that's great kudos to you thanks now you've been in the law library space for for quite a while and can you tell us i know you touched upon it a little bit previously but can you tell us how you kind of gravitated toward the legal space and and really since you've been in it what's what's your journey been like well it's it's interesting because my journey to law to librarianship in general took rather a circuitous route when i was growing up um, I was asthmatic as a youth, so I did not play Pop Warner football. So while my friends were playing Pop Warner football, uh, I was in the library. And I was, um, when I was in seventh grade was when I got my first taste of library work. I was um, what you would commonly call a page in the, in, in the little school library that we have uh, had at that time at Our Lady of Mount Carmel in the grammar school in Melrose Park, which I went. And I would uh, assist... Uh, I would help uh, Sister Gerald or Sister Gerard, as we sometimes would call her, um, shelve books and uh, you know collect the books from the various classrooms. So I got my first taste of librarianship well back in those days, um, and then went into high school and college, and things changed a little bit for me in that um, the 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 librarian bug, for want of a better word, uh, went slightly dormant. Uh, I went in to my undergraduate work and I went into technology. And so I was going to be a technologist. I was gonna be a computer programmer, et cetera. And then uh, as I moved into various jobs in the technology field and I made my way to Accenture, it was there that I learned and I was introduced to the world of knowledge management. Uh, and, and what was captivating for me at that point was in knowledge management, the, the, one of the fundamental things is to take tacit knowledge, knowledge that people acquire while they're on the job, while they're doing stuff, and really turn it into a hard asset that an organization can use to deliver value. And I found that many of the individuals involved in the knowledge management space came out of the research and librarianship worlds. So when I was laid off in uh, 02, I was looking around for something new to do with my career. I thought about continuing on in the training and the development, you know, training and uh, professional development type of things that I'd been doing. But then I, 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 it dawned on me that maybe I should think about going back to my first love from when I was, you know, a little kid you know, seventh grade, back to the library. And that's where I went back to library school. And I uh, uh, received my MLIS from uh, Dominican University. Some people might know it, at least in the Chicago area, as the old Rosary College. And 
and that's what led me to librarianship. Now, the way I got involved in law librarianship was um, also an interesting path in that I was pretty sure I didn't want to do public librarianship, all right? And school librarian media was sort of unavailable to me because I didn't have another teaching certificate. So uh, that led me to the world of special libraries, which is special libraries or anything that is not either a public library or a school library and media, you know, primary, secondary school. Yeah. When I was in library school, I took a class in law librarianship and a woman spoke at the class. Her name was uh, Ruth Bridges. She was then uh, the head librarian at the law firm of Schiff Harden. Okay. And I was sort of thinking about either law librarianship or medical librarianship. And I was thinking, you know, in, in, in the medical world, there's not that many opportunities in the Chicago area. I mean, there's not that many large uh, academic um, medical centers that can support a, a library. Yeah. So then I was thinking, well, there's a lot more law firms and there's a lot more opportunities there. So as Ruth was talking, uh, she stressed uh, she came as a, to do a presentation to my law librarianship class. She stressed the need to participate in the professional organizations of you know the library world. In her, in in this case, it was like AA, SLA, Chicago Association of Law Libraries. But she made a comment, and I would I always say it was in passing. She made a comment in passing that she's always looking for people to do practicum. So. You know, I'm no fool. So at that point, I took the chance and did uh, a practicum, 120-hour practicum in the law library at Schiff Harden. And it, it was a really good opportunity. And what it what was helpful to me is because at that point, I was working part-time in the mornings at Loyola University Medical Center. Um, so what I would do is I would get up at six in the morning, zip down to the law to the medical school, work from seven to 11, seven a.m. to eleven come back, drop the car, jump on the train, go downtown. Now I live two blocks from the train and Schiff Harden is, or still is in the Willis Tower. And that's two blocks from the train, downtown Chicago. So it, you know, it, the, the pieces were falling into place really well for me to get involved in the world of law librarianship. And during my time at Schiff Harden an opportunity uh, came around to work at Baker and McKenzie. Uh, what was good about it was that because of my work in the in call, which is Chicago Association of Law Libraries, I had met the librarian there some months ago. And because I was getting to be a known quantity in the law librarian community, uh, people could speak up for me and advocate for me. And they could say, you know, like they could call Ruth and people could ask you, you, you know, we got this Eugene guy who wants to come work for us. What's he like? She could tell them, well, he's not a total bust out. He will do a good job for you. And that's what helped propel my uh, career forward in, in law librarianship. Long story. No, that's that's really interesting. And it, it really it really did take um, it really kind of it ended up being uh, almost a good fit for you. <laughs> I mean, just proximity yeah. and, and whatnot. So that's that's great. Now, what's, I, really, what's really interesting is that this is my third time working in the Willis Tower. So when I first, when I was working at Schiff Harden, it's in the Willis Tower. Then I went to Baker, which was um, in the old, in, from Chicago, people in Chicago know the Prudential Tower. Uh, then I went to Latham and Watkins, which was back in the Willis Tower. 
but they moved. They moved to the old IBM tower uh, where the Langham Hotel is. And now I'm back. Not only am I back in the Willis Tower, I am in Latham's old space. So I mo we moved out of that space. I came back when I came to Denton's. I came back into that space. That's interesting. That's interesting. And and speaking of the space, since you since you've started, how how has um, law librarianship changed? I think it's changed be in, in a number of significant ways. We've seen and will I think we will continue to see a consolidation in the uh, press. I mean, in the publishing, the legal publishing world. I mean, I mean, I can remember, and and I haven't been in the trade that long. Um, a myriad of publications and 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 publishers. Now it's you know, sometimes they get out by Thomson Reuters, bought out by Thomson Reuters. Sometimes they get bought out by Lexus. Sometimes they get bought out by. Well, now Bloomberg Law is becoming a bigger player in in, in buying up some of these titles. So that was that's one of the bigger um, the biggest um, changes that I've seen in the trade, even just in my years in the trade. Uh, the second thing I think is the the shift away from print. And I think this pandemic has really brought that, you know, that's really accelerated that change. I mean, there used to be an enterprise, there okay. used to be an enterprise called BNA Books. BNA Books no longer exists. Um, so that's that's uh, the next thing. And I think the the changes in the way people search and the expectation of the way people search is changing. Like when I first started in the trade, uh, we were taught to, you know, build your search string, pick your databases, you know, get a nice tight search string, and then, you know, you, you, you execute it. Now with the, with the advent of more uh, emphasis on natural language searching versus terms and connectors, and also the pricing is different. Uh, you see both Lexus and Westlaw um, more and more uh, clients are going to flat rate contracts with them, and uh, the, uh, the the search, no matter how broad or how narrow you are, you make it is the same price. So I think the the, the economics are changing, and I think the economics are helping drive, uh, for better or for worse, the way people search and the expectations that people have regarding search. Yeah, that's interesting. And and moving forward, where do you see the space? in the next several years? I think we've already seen it uh, with the change in how work in general is being done. So this idea of, you know, uh, we, we moved we moved away from the library, you know, everyone went to the library. Then we had this sort of model that, you know, the library as place where people would, you know, become, where people would assemble. So it became sort of like a glorified coffee bar. But now we're going to be seeing more I think the pandemic has shown that library service can be delivered more remotely. So we're going to be seeing individuals uh, in terms of their uh, professional opportunities. They might be taking jobs where it's based in, say, the West Coast, but they're living in Chicago. They will actually do their job from Chicago, which brings about, you know, what's the impact of salary and how do how do you do salary and fringe when the company is in California but you're living in Chicago how do you do you you know do you pay them a California salary do you pay them a Chicago salary do you do some sort of a hybrid uh, so that's that's one way I think we're seeing the change the importance of analytics 
not only analytics of like what's happened in the past, judicial analytics, how do judges, how have judges um, uh, ruled in the past on certain things, but predictive analytics, the, the, the need for more certainty in the, uh, the, 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 the legal environment in terms of when, you know, when you're taking a matter to court and that sort of thing. So I think that's another uh, area that's going to change because I think clients are going to be demanding more things like uh, um, fixed price uh, uh, engagements. Um, there's, there might be, and we're seeing it now, there's going to be less reliance on the billable hour uh, as a metric. And I think the, the last thing uh, going along, you know, in a similar fashion with uh, predictive analytics is the, the, the change of what kind of work is going to be done in-house, what's going to be done by firms. So, you know, we're seeing, you'll see more and more things kept in-house versus given to outside counsel, I think. And we're already seeing all those three things. I think they're just going to get more pronounced and more um, apparent as things go, as time goes on. Interesting, interesting space. Now, for librarians out there that's considering um, you know, getting into your space, into the legal space. Could you provide any guidance as to how to enter the space, what skills they would need to master, for example? I think the thing, this business is built on relationships. So I would encourage any person who is currently in library school to avail themselves of the professional societies that are uh, in their locality. Uh, I would also encourage them to get involved and look to the larger um, national and multinational organizations dealing with librarianship, especially organizations like SLA. There's a very large legal community in SLA, and I like SLA. I consider it my uh, professional home because you get to see librarians and information professionals, A, from literally around the world, and B, you get to see them in, from cross discipline. So you, you can meet individuals who are involved in chemicals, who are involved in government work, who are involved in business and finance. Um, all those different disciplines are available to, to, to see and to experience un, and understand how they do librarianship, how they uh, provide value to their constituencies, uh, which I think is great for, for a, a, a young person a person young to the profession, because I wasn't young when I came in. I was nigh on 30. I was in my late 30s when I was coming in. So I wasn't like some, you know, some kid right out of college. I'd already had uh, one or two, you know, one or two careers already um, when I came to librarianship. And I think it's important for individuals to sort of have that seasoning uh, coming into coming into this um coming into this profession and also so, so, I'm sorry, so, so you can so you can take so you could it is possible then for someone to make the career change uh like mid-career like you or is that kind of more rare um i think i think it is it can be done yes it can be done i'm seeing though that it's that it's not being not occurring as often like i i interface with some folks with uh, from Special Libraries Association in the Illinois community. And I see people, you know, a lot of people are going right from undergraduate to uh, graduate school in, in library and information sciences. 
So we're seeing, you know, just similar to the way they do it in law school. I mean, it used to be people would go to, you know, get an undergraduate degree, spend some time in the work world, then go to law school, either part-time or full-time. Now people are going right the way through. They go to, you know, they go to undergraduate, then bang right into uh, a three-year law program. So I'm not seeing as many, what I would call them older hands like myself, making the transition, but I think it is possible. And I think those people who do make that transition, they bring a richness to the profession because they've seen stuff outside of, you know, information or librarianship. Uh, I always consider the the two things that inform my librarianship and my professionalism as an information professional, two things have, have formed me. One of them is my time as a consultant. Because as a consultant, you're always asked, what is the value case or the business case? What, what value can I add in this interaction with this individual? That's drilled into you all the time as a consultant. And the second thing that formed my librarianship happened all the way in high school. I was the manager of the high school football team. I didn't play, but I managed. And I learned what providing service meant in, 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 those, in, in that case. And I always say that those are the two forming things that, that inform my librarianship to this day. Wow, that's great. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, that's- one other thing though um, about skills, uh, people need to have good technical skills. You need to you know, be able to do things like WordPress. Is, is, is a good example of um, um, being able to do some sort of uh, web or database type development. Those sort of activities are going to put you in, in good stead in, in any sort of environment that you're in. Cool. No, that's very, very helpful. I know a lot of people will get a lot of uh, good info from, from what you just said. Now I want to turn to your book. Um, you're, you're an author, and I know uh, you have uh, more plans in that in that realm, but you know, what inspired you to want to write a book during the pandemic? Well, like I always say that there's, there's, that's really, there's that question. There's two sides to that question, like two sides to a coin. What was the inspiration for the book? And then what informs the writing? Because I think you can't sort of, you can't have one without the other. Um, The impetus for the book and the, the Wednesday you know, coffee breaks that I do on Zoom. All of this came as an outgrowth of a comment made during an all staff meeting back in March of 2020. When, when we, when it looked like we were going to be working from home for the, for the foreseeable future, um, none of us really knew how long we was going to be. We had an here at here at Dentons, we had an all staff, all attorney conference call to talk about this. And our CEO Mike McNamara made a made two very impressive statements, statements that were impressive upon me. He, he, he encouraged the attorneys to contact their clients, talk to them, see how you can help them during this time of working, sheltering in place and time of response to the COVID-19 pandemic. But he also went a step further. He says, reach out to them as human beings. They're going to be human beings. They're going to have needs. They're going to have troubles they're going to need someone to talk to they're going to be isolated reach out to them just as a human being how are they doing then he turned to the staff and he said it's important that we all stay connected during this time so you know call people stay in contact with people 
help break the isolation of, of this time of sheltering in place. Um, find ways to help others who have certain challenges, such as challenges regarding schooling, elder care, child care, et cetera, and staying, trying to stay productive during, during, during all of this. So the, the, I started to send out um, a daily email just to my research team, the team that I belong to, uh, you know, started getting these in around middle of March. And then as I was thinking about it, there would be so, you know, I would think of, oh, so-and-so would like to see this and this other person would like to see it. And steadily the, the distribution began to grow. So now it's upwards of uh, over 300 received, received them on a daily basis. Now I was doing um, the, the daily emails five days a week uh, with some exceptions from March through March. So from March 19th to March uh, of March 19th, 2020 through March 19th, 2021, five days a week. Uh, and the, the, the distribution grew. And at the encouragement of a number of people, I took all those emails and collected them into the book that you now see, uh, Reflections During a Pandemic, Thoughts While Sheltering in Place. So that's how the book came about. No, that's great. That's great. And, you know, reading through the book, there's there's a lot of passages that focused on doing good to good to others. And the April 3rd passage really stood out to me. It was a you know end of end of week Friday passage. Was was this like was this the, the like a therapeutic process for you that that just worked to help you you and your family get through the pandemic? Funny that, you should ask me about that particular time because um, I didn't make a lot of mention of it during um, during the writing, but my mother was ill at, at during this time, uh, not with COVID. She had been ailing for some time, and my mom my mom passed away on May uh, April seventh of twenty twenty. So it's interesting that you picked that that uh, passage, which was basically. That was on the Friday and she passed away on the, I think it was a Tuesday, uh, was the seventh. And I didn't, I didn't look upon it as, as a therapy. I don't, I didn't want this to be my sort of my grief project. And I didn't make a lot of comment about my mom's passing because I didn't feel I was entitled to sort of lay that on people. They, they had their own troubles and I was here to try to help ameliorate them. It wasn't my job to sort of add to them because now they had to think about, you know, poor Eugene just lost his mother and, and my mother, whom I, whom I love dearly. And I think she would be, I think she'd be real pleased with the, with the, with the outcome. But see, that comes to the second side of that coin that I talked about, what informs the writing. And I don't think it was really a therapeutic um, sort of model that I was dealing with. What I was working through or working with is what informs the writing. And I think my whole experience, my whole life experience and who I am as a human being is found sort of in this writing. I mean, I, you find things, I find things that, that inform because I'm a practicing Roman Catholic. I'm things that, uh, uh, informant are things that come out of my experience as an, a librarian and an information professional. Uh, the fact that I'm a Mensa member and a Knight of Columbus that in, uh, informs the writing. Even the fact that, that I'm a Zionist informs the writing. So I think that's really what what uh, what builds the process by which 
these these writings were created. Have I answered your question? Am I hitting yes, where no, you need to be? No, I think I think I get what you're saying. So it was really your way of giving, right? It was your it, it, way of communicating. Um, it was just your way to give back to the world because it was it was my way, and it was also I, I you know I take the long view of history, and I remember seeing. It's a very famous poster uh, from the First World War. Um, there's the man who's obviously sort of, you know, late 20s, early 30s, or maybe even slightly middle age with his children around him. And the children, the, the tagline under the, under the poster as the children are around this man sitting in his chair with this pipe, Daddy, what did you do in the Great War? And the look on the man's face, it's obvious he didn't do much. And so I want to be able to say to myself mainly, you know, not necessarily have to say it to others, but what did I do during this pandemic? How did I help break isolation? How did I help um, some people, a person over, like I, as I call it, over the hump of a day? Um, how did I... And this, you see this later on in the writings, um, especially after the summer of 2020, I talk a lot about, you know, ushering a new world of justice, compassion, and inclusion. How have I contributed to building a world based on justice, compassion, and inclusion? Yeah, so how did you give more than you took, you know, yeah. in this time? I think that's, yeah, that's throughout the book. That's really, you know, throughout the book is is that type of of theme and there's also there's also a lot of there are many passages that reference hope um on a hopeful um you know hopeful thoughts and and, and so forth of, of how we wish things can can turn out hope things are going to turn out uh, okay for for everyone in the world i mean are there any passages that that stand out to you that you wrote and why would they yeah. stand out yes and it it's it, it's funny Again, it's it's funny because this one is the one that I picked to talk about hope is from April 17th, not long after um, both when uh, the passing of my mom and also the date, the, the April 3rd date that you speak about in the book. Um, uh, the, the, the selection from April 17th, the quotation that I used as the basis was hope is like peace. It's not a gift from God. It is a gift only we can give to one another. And that was said by Ili Wiesel, the, the Nobel laureate and, and survivor of the Holocaust, uh, because I think that comes to the, to the central point of why I was writing the book is an, is an effort to give hope to others, because you know it, there's no use in waiting around for hope to just descend down sort of deus ex machina uh, um, you know, from, from above or from out of nowhere. We've got to find a way to... to Give it and get it, okay? Yeah. And if if I exude hope, if I show hope, I might see that in, you know, reflected in somebody's eyes and somebody's look. And when that's reflected back to me, that's me getting the hope that I need. Yeah. So so you know that's the, the whole idea of you taking charge of taking charge of hope, not just waiting for it around or just you know thinking about it, but taking charge really doing stuff to engender hope yeah because it's making it actionable because it's if you think about hope just on its on its own it's like you're you're out in the ocean and you know you're hoping that the tide will bring you to shore but 
the way you kind of communicate it, you you want to utilize that hope to get people to, you know, kick their legs and swing their arms, and to move yeah. and to and to, uh, to make it more actionable. So that's that's cool. Oh, that's that's great. How did the book play a role in the relationship with your family uh, the past year? Uh, I I think that. It, it strengthened it. I mean, I've gotten a lot of encouragement from the family for the writing and the and the publishing of the book. I mean, my wife was was very encouraging. My wife, Colleen, who's you know, very encouraged uh, by it. She's encouraged me in continuing to do this important work. Um, my family and friends have all sort of been very have been very positively disposed to the book. Uh, it, I think it, it it's allowed me to show sort sort of an aspect of of myself that that a lot of people that know me may not necessarily see all the time not because i keep it hidden but because you know we got other things going on like when you're with the family you're you know you got family stuff going on and 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 with you know my 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 mother ailing as she was and and and, and such you know we sort of focus on okay what do we need to do how can we help cuz they moved in with my sister at this time you know around this around uh, the time of uh, the COVID pandemic when it struck. So it's like, okay, how can we help Katrina and, and her husband? And, and what do we need to do? And, you know, who's making the, the grocery drop and who's doing the pickup and, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, you get involved in the, 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 the necessary mechanics of showing care, showing concern, showing support that, you know, the time to, you know, really do some creative, be, be a little bit creative, uh, I don't want to say get shoved to the background, but there are more imperative things that uh, that get that get uh, that take up space, take up time, and necessary time. Sure, no, that makes sense. That that definitely makes a lot of sense. And could you tell us a little bit about your future writing plans? Well, my future writing plans are ongoing. <laughs> As I said, this book covers March nineteen. 2020 through March 19, 2021. I am still writing the emails. I'm not doing them five days a week because, I mean, let's face it, five days a week becomes a real grind. Um, I'm doing them three days a week, Mondays, Tuesdays, and Fridays. Um, in fact, I've got a week off, so I might be taking a week off from the, from the writing. I don't know. I might get inspired. Um, but the, the, the plan is for me to possibly dial down the... Uh, the writing around Labor Day, and then take all the writings, excuse me, and put them into one large volume, which would cover everything. And again, I would self-publish that. And I'm thinking about a title and, and, and other things for that. All right, that's, that's great. And how can people find your book? Uh, it's available as both an ebook and a print-on-demand book on the Barnes & Noble uh, uh, website and also Amazon.com. Okay. Uh, it's available. Um, no, and if, if, I'm, if I may, Paul, make another, uh, um, for want of a better word, shameless plug. Um, anybody who's interested in the, the Wednesday, I call it coffee break, uh, those are still going on. Those are just gatherings of primarily information professionals, but I've had people outside the trade uh, join and uh, come in. Um, I'm, you know, you can you can join those coffee breaks, and we don't we usually don't talk shop. Uh, those coffee breaks. There's a lot of individuals who have 
a good deal of institutional knowledge. So they talk about, you know, back in the day when so and so was president of this association or remember when we used to do this or, you know, the, the topics. There is no topic, so to speak, but as the icebreaker, I always usually ask, you know, what do you got cooking on the stove? What do you got growing in your garden? What are you reading? What are you streaming on TV? You know, and, and, and that and that really acts as a nice uh, jumping off point for people to talk about this stuff. So if, if uh, people are interested, the listeners of this podcast are interested in, in joining, even even just to see it once or twice, there's it's not a fixed, you know, you have to come every week. It's not an appointment, but it's an opportunity just to take a break from, you know, a lot of people still working from home. It's an opportunity for people to just sit and, and, and relate to each other as, as human beings. So if they want to let you know, Paul, you can filter those names to me. I can get them on the distribution. And if and if they want to receive the um, the emails, because the emails are still going out, I'm more than happy to add more people to the to the distribution uh, of, of the emails. Yeah, and when you I will put all of the information pertaining to that podcast and information on the contact you in the description of the podcast. So if anyone, great. I look uh, forward to it. Anyone wants to to see that it would just take part. That that would be great. Sounds sounds really cool. Um, but yeah, that that's pretty much it. I mean, Eugene, you you've done a great job telling the audience about yourself. Your your book was, uh, is is a is a great book and um, exciting to to hear that you're you're carrying on and you're writing and you know, you're gonna you have more plans. So 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 that's great. So I want you know, one one of the. One of the things that I'd like to hope for for the book is that, you know, when this pandemic is over and maybe 30, 40, 50 years, you know, people, you know, will somebody will find it and they'll look upon it and they'll see one perspective, one window into this time in, in this world. And it might give some people some some pause. So, again, we're playing the long game here uh, for that. It's funny you mention that because if you just go on YouTube or you just go anything around this time and just read comments, it's amazing how you just get a snapshot of what people were thinking. And, and I think now yeah. people are obviously more, a little bit more hopeful, but you make a very, very good point because um, your book really goes deep. We'll go deep into that. And that's really cool. But well, listen, thanks, Eugene. I, I really appreciate it. This was um, this was awesome. I will put all the information, Eugene's contact information, information uh, about the uh, his his podcast. And what is it again? Uh, it's it's just it's it, it just the, the the Wednesday. I call it the Wednesday coffee break. The Wednesday coffee. The Wednesday, break. and we do it as a Zoom meeting. It's really a Zoom meeting. It's not even a podcast. It's not that sophisticated. Yep. It's just a it's just a coffee break on Zoom. Cool, cool. Yeah, I will send all the uh, that information. And uh, thanks again, Eugene. And uh, we'll definitely be in touch. Thanks, Paul. All right, you got it.